0: to read a passage from the Gospels, uh, Jesus' teaching, Matthew chapter 25. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those My wife, Laura, and I met in high school, and we were 15. I don't recommend that, but uh, <laughs> we celebrated our first date uh, last Friday, 50 years, Valentine's Day. My mother, my mother drove us, and my brother picked us up because I couldn't drive. Now, the only reason I share that is because uh, when I met my wife, I was subsequently brought into a family, a very large family, very different from mine. I had three siblings, but there was 18 years from the oldest to the youngest. We were very spread out. My wife was the second of seven, and they're all two years apart. So when I know Laura's age, I know everybody else's age in the family. And it happened that Laura had a brother named Robbie who was the fifth of the seventh, and he was severely mentally impaired. His condition was not like Gracie's. He, he was able to walk rather clumsily, and he could communicate. If you hadn't been around him for a few weeks, you wouldn't understand him. It would take you a few hours to kind of get used to how he talked. But he was um, in a different place, but he was severely, He's classified as severely mentally impaired. When I was 15 and I met Robbie, he was 9 years old, and Robbie was raised with Laura's family. early on as a 16, 15, 16, 17 year old, I was very uncomfortable around him. I I had never been around someone with special needs. I mean, I'd seen people in society, obviously, but I had never had to interact with anyone like that. And I'd never been in family gatherings, like sitting around a table in which someone was present like that. And later, I, I got over my discomfort and I came to like Robbie. And as Laura's parents to age, despite there being many children I, I was the one who sat down with her father and encouraged him to find a, a group home for Robbie to move into and they found a Catholic home that was tremendous in Chelsea called St. Joseph Center and he lived there for 20 years but came home every other weekend for the rest of his life and after Laura's father died I had been asked by her parents and was appointed by the court to be his alternate guardian after his mother, and I began to help his mother with his care. Early in my experience, I um, knew someone I've long. I haven't seen them, but they knew that Laura had a mentally impaired brother. And they said to me, why in the world did her parents keep him? They had other children to take care of. They should have, they should have put him in a place for people like that. And at the time, I remember being very young, I, I didn't know how to respond to that. Something about the question didn't feel right to me, frankly, but I didn't have much to go on. And the simple answer would have been to say they felt God wanted them to have this child and raise them with their other children. That would have been the proper answer, but I have a feeling the person wouldn't have accepted that because... A person who doesn't believe in God, or at least doesn't believe that God would ever want anyone to suffer in any way, obviously wouldn't accept that. In fact, in the contemporary world that you and I live in, that has changed so drastically from 50 years ago when that question was asked to me, where personal happiness and comfort and freedom is the most prized thing that people look for in life, the mere thought that a loving God would send into some family's life a child with special needs is just rejected. Simple fact is that the person who said that to me 50 years ago and those who think that way today simply failed to understand the Christian ethic in its most basic statement. <laughs> um, you may be there, I don't know. There's a lot of people here today. I don't know if you are attached to God in the church, or you're distant from it, or indifferent to it, you may be in many different places, but I want to hear it from me, that the most basic Christian principle that is not hidden from the world, this is like not, this is Christianity 101, okay, We're not, we don't have to go very deep to get to this one, was enunciated most clearly by Christ himself in a public setting, and is that we care for those on the margins of society. That's the most basic aspect of the Christian ethic the way of life he urges on his followers the found in the words I read to you, particularly verse 40 in Matthew 25. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of these, the least of my brothers and sisters, you did it to me. Five years ago, Laura's brother Robbie passed away at age 53 from undiagnosed leukemia. Um, by the time that he was diagnosed with leukemia, he only lived four days more, and Um, Now I have an answer for the person who asked me that question so long ago. Why in the world would they keep him? And it's the same answer to be given any time a loving couple or a mother or father take on the arduous task of caring for someone with special needs, regardless of the nature of their condition, any time someone takes that on, The answer is really the same. In fact, I think it is brilliantly illustrated in the life of Grace Libby, even more than in my brother-in-law, because like I said earlier, we couldn't appreciate what she did because she didn't do much except smile and laugh and sing. We had to appreciate simply who she was. Grace's parents Pat and Karen Libby raised her in their family because she was their child. She was born to them, and they believed that God himself, not some blind chance, not some genetic mistake in the universe, not some cosmic criminal, but the living God, the loving God himself entrusted her to them. And they believed apparently that God had a purpose for them in this. I've never actually asked them this, but I, I just know that's true. They believed that in some way, they were going to be better people simply by having cared for Gracie and their family. And what a picture, it's already been said, of devoted and sacrificial and self, other-centered love you've been over the years. Pat and Karen, and you know, no child is perfect those of us who have children that don't have special needs soon find out our children are not perfect, right? In fact, we find out they're kind of like us, you know? But when a child is born like Gracie, where the imperfections, like, you can't hide them. They're just obvious to everyone who looks at a child like that. You know that um, we live in an imperfect world. And when people are asked to deal with that imperfection in ways that may be very difficult, when they choose and say, yes, that's what God wants us to do, that's what we commend. I mean, all children, all parents are struggling, imperfect, broken specimens of humanity. And in fact, in the eyes of a God of infinite holiness, we are all deficient. those who are parents want to love their children sacrificially and unconditionally, and all of us struggle with that, but when we see someone do that in ways way beyond what most of us have been called to do, it reminds us how difficult it is, how far we fall short, and I know you've struggled with it through the years, but on behalf of everyone in the room, I want to thank you. I wanna thank you for being an example of unconditional love. Now why did her parents keep her? Because Pat and Libby were convinced that they would be better people if they did. And they are, as a result, a living example of the relentless love of God. And then there were two other children in the family, Alex and Molly, and was it hard for you to have a sister with such evident special needs? I'm not sure if you feel it was hard. You may not, you know. I, I'm not sure Laura's brothers, brother and sisters thought that Robbie was difficult because that was normal. Yeah, I mean when you grow up with something, that's kind of just what you have. But as a person who was raised without that kind of thing, I can say, yeah, you, you had to struggle with some things that I never had to struggle with. But here's what I think about you from growing up with a sister like Gracie. There are at least least two more people in this self-focused, freedom-crazed, smug world in which we live that are a little more compassionate and a little more gentle, a little more committed to those who are on the margins of society than you would have been otherwise. Slightly more sympathetic, more self-giving than those who are shielded from pain and try to think that life is a time to shield yourself from pain. I can only tell you that's not the purpose of life. I've known Laura's siblings, the five that are remaining, uh, you know, for 50 years, and boy, do they annoy me. (laughs) But I also know they have a certain substance inside of them that other people don't have because of what they dealt with. That's my hope for you, that you'll have that substance as well. And for everyone, whose life has been impacted by Uh, Gracie, and I'm talking to grandparents and uh, uncles and cousins and neighbors and friends and caregivers. In fact, anyone in this church who, you know, at the back on their way out went over and spoke gently to Gracie or touched her hand and saw her smile. You know, we all have been recipients of something that we wouldn't otherwise have. I want you to remember this. We live in a culture that desperately wants to avoid pain. And we fill our lives with all kinds of things that uh, seem to make it go away for us. We have endless entertainments. And we have movies that we can watch on demand at any moment of the day on our cell phone. And, and uh, we have constant diversions to dull the pain of living in a world that is imperfect. And so many people I find today, they want to pretend this world is the best of all possible worlds. But you see, the gospel message, the message of Jesus Christ and his death for sinners, is not based on the idea that we live in the best possible world and we can make it better if we just push out of our lives all of those things that remind us of imperfection and and that kind of thing. They're so completely wrong. It's when we experience imperfection and sin and its result in the lives of people, it's when we experience that, that we find out there's an instinctual built-in longing in the human heart that says, I was built for something better than this. There must be something better, different than what I'm experiencing at times in this world. I don't mean life is the worst possible thing it could be. It's not. This is not a perfect world. We are not perfect people. And the gospel tells us God opens his arms wide to receive sinful people through Jesus Christ back to himself and to make them what they wouldn't be otherwise. And he uses even things like Gracie Libby to create that longing inside of us. You know, the person who asked me that question 50 years ago, obviously wanted to live in a world in which all traces of sin all traces of imperfection have been erased you put people in a a place for people like that you know and now we have other ways of avoiding that but the fact is if you don't have sin you don't need a savior and and if we don't have in life regular reminders that we live in a world that is not perfect then we will never sense inside of us a need for a God who will give us a world in which there is no more crying, no more pain, no more tears, in which Gracie Libby is whole and complete. You see, Gracie and all those who are on the margins of society are the antidote to our poison thinking. You couldn't be around her and think we live in a perfect world. That's why the world wants to pretend those kind of people don't exist. But rather than contributing nothing, I'd like to suggest this morning that perhaps she contributed more than all the rest of us. Because by her very presence, she points us to our need for God. So why was she born? Why was she among us for 19 years? Well, I think it's so that, at the very least, a handful of people in this broken, mad world will be more sensitive, less focused on themselves, more compassionate, gentler, uh, and, and desirous of helping those on the margins of society. So don't forget the things you learned just by being around her. It's, it's how we treat those on the margins of life. And that doesn't just include physical or mental deformities. It includes the poor, the helpless in so many ways. It's how we treat those on the margins of society that shows our real character. And that, the Bible says, is true of individuals and it's true of nations. So you are involved, immersed in a long-term lesson in compassion and I hope you go out and live it out as Jesus said as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers and sisters you did it to me